and welcome to Chinese Revolutions. This is a podcast about the way that China came to be the way that it is today. We're looking at modern Chinese history through the lens of revolutionary movement starting after 1839. And I am your host, Nathan Bennett. I lived in China for seven years, and this podcast is kind of a love letter and a farewell letter to that country. The usual announcements, I'm trying to see if I can get up to 100 paid subscribers to start producing supplementary episodes, biographies of key people, technology, uh, zooming in on special interest items. Uh, you can also join the Substack for a greater connection with the podcast. Uh, and you can, su- you can support for free by uh, rating and reviewing on all platforms. Uh, you know, look me up on all the podcast platforms, rate, review, uh, Apple, uh, Amazon, uh, all of them. Uh, if you'd like to support uh, monetarily, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast, or you can join the Substack at chineserevolutions.substack.com. Please send me an email at chineserevolutions at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Uh, your ideas for ways we can develop all of this uh, so that it can be more of what you'd like it to be. Okay, last episode we were talking about Protestant missionaries in China. This is the second of two episodes on that subject. Uh, last week we talked about the story of the uh, the Reformation, the history of Protestantism, most importantly, why central hierarchy wasn't too much of a thing, so that that's why you have all these different Protestant groups sending missionaries to China. Uh, so this is partly to open the understanding for why somebody could just turn up in China and say, yeah, I'm a Protestant minister, uh, and you know, so you've got a handful of these oddballs who would turn up with the Taiping Rebellion. And then also why printing is such a huge thing for sharing the message. Uh, the founder of the Taiping movement actually received Protestant tracts, and these catalyzed the visions he was already having, brought everything together in a coherent format. Okay, so this should be the last in the in real background episodes. The next the next episode, we're going to pick up on more of the exciting story bits, and we're going to be sweeping right off into the very epic, very brutal story of the Taiping Rebellion. We're not really going to focus too much on the Opium War, because that's not what this is about. This is about Chinese revolutions. Okay, focusing, we're focusing this on the essentials of Protestant missionary activity, not on the history of Protestant missionary work in China. So we'll be talking... Uh, okay, so this uh, the body of this episode is relying a lot on Wikipedia. You'll meet many of the characters we're talking about in some of the books we've already referenced. So The Honorable Company by James Kiay, uh references some of the guys who had been trying to learn Chinese. Imperial Twilight by Stephen Platt uh, has a lot about the East India Company moving into China. And then, of course, God is Chinese Son by Jonathan Spence uh, about the beginning, about the founder of the Taiping movement, 
Hong Xiu Chuan, and of course, important in that is the Protestant missionaries who formed the intellectual background for where uh, he, the Taiping guy, um, got a lot of his starting materials that later developed into the mature form of what of the ideology behind the Taiping Rebellion. Uh, pioneers in Chinese missionary work, um, they had to ride along with the East India Company. Like So a guy we're going to meet toward the end of this podcast, Robert Morrison, uh, he was limited to Portuguese Macau and the foreign settlement of Canton. He took jobs with the East India Company to fund his work. Um, there was a lot of literary work. Uh, translations from Chinese, Chinese law, so that British traders could understand how to argue with the Chinese officials, what they could appeal to, what how they could get through disputes. Chinese classics, philosophy, literature, religion, and more. Because Europe is interested in learning about you know, who it is that they're running into. Uh, translations into Chinese, you know, especially the Bible. And so I'm going to look at why they went to all this trouble. You see, I studied Protestant missionary stuff in college, so I can kind of pull it right out. It's on topic for this episode, and it's critical for the subject. You know, because missionaries aren't just some jerkwad who decided to go impose something on somebody else. There's a whole system behind what they're doing. There are certain priorities they need to meet. And if they're doing it well, then, okay, well, they'll hit a lot of what I'm about to, to talk about. Um, you really need to understand what Christian missionaries are. If you really watch them when they appear in movies, they're always a little off from the soldiers and traders and imperial functionaries. They, they've got their own thing going on. Yeah, okay, they might think that sharing civilization is somehow important, and, you know, you can talk, we can talk about that, but there's something about them that may, they're not just part of the imperial project. They might be riding along, but they have their own thing that they're doing. Um, so if you're, you know, so for Christian missionaries, if you're preaching a universal faith, you have to make sure that you get your point across accurately. Like, so you want your converts to live the right way in response. Like, so for Protestants, okay, they're preaching Jesus. You don't want the, the converts, therefore, then to found a militant movement, which the Taiping, of course, proceeded to do. The Taipings perverted and twisted the religion and politics. Um, you want to see obedience to objective standards of behavior, morality, ethics. I mean, even if you're a Protestant talking about saved by grace through faith and everything, there's still a change in the life that you'll see. You'll, you know, certain family structures, certain, you know, norms of honesty, hard work, things like this. Um, 
and it should be similar going from country to country, you know, objective standards. Uh, for a universal religion, it's also especially important to not be mixing with other religions. Like, so you, you don't be part Christian, part Buddhist, part something else. So it, it's how, when you, so when you give the faith, like, so part of the work is to understand elements in the culture that are good, that are human universals, so that you don't accidentally teach against things that just affirm the importance of family, um, the importance of taking care of the earth, um, you know, not wasting things. You know, th there's a lot of culture that covers that as well. So there, there are ways, if you're smart, to address that in a new religion you're trying to propagate. So while the religion you're talking about is objective and apart from the culture, you know, so like you're going to be judging things like abuse of women and children, uh, like you'll see Christian missionaries involved in the, in the later suppression of the Chinese practice of foot binding, because it's like, okay, let's see, let's break a perfectly functional, functional foot to adhere to this terrible beauty thing. Well, okay, Christian missionaries are going to be part of suppressing that, but they're not totally suppressing everything because there's a lot of good out there as well. So that that's 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 some of the difficult stuff that missionaries have to try to push through. Um, okay, so most so more importantly here, they're trying to make sure they share the right message, um, so that when converts share with their friends and family, and this bleeds over into the next point, um, missionaries did a lot of work to get exactly the right word to call God uh, when they were translating into Chinese. You know, so like, let's go into the abstract here. You know, even many tribal religions have an idea of a more distant creator, uh, that that name is a possibility for what you know what you could call God. You just fill that with different meaning, more Christian specifics. Um, a religion like Christianity um, claiming its own thing that doesn't fit in with the local pantheon, and it, and you know the local pantheon doesn't mind adding one more. So when you're talking about God, you know, what word are you using? Is it just, you know, you used the word that, yeah, we've got a hundred and we don't mind adding you as 101? Well, you know, so like Muslims in China, for example, have set up their own separate communities. Even though they don't always follow the religion very closely, they have a distinct identity. They don't just add Muhammad to the Christian, no, to the Chinese pantheon. And so if you're if that's giving you indigestion talking about it like that, that's exactly my point. You, you know, where Muhammad claimed to be a prophet, he didn't claim to be God, he's just a messenger. 
Okay, that's that's exactly the thing. See, that's exactly what can happen if you're not clear in your message, if you don't get the right terms. So a lot of the work that Protestant missionaries did in China was trying to make sure that they got the language exactly right. You know, you don't just show up and tell, you know, a uh, you, you know, a, a substandard, you don't tell in bad Chinese what you think is the gospel and, and just leave. That's not going to help. Um, the Taipings will be similarly exclusive uh, in pushing out existing Chinese belief uh, systems. Uh, like, does the word for God that you're using have any connection to any especially nasty deity, for example? Um, like, so while gods often execute judgment, kill a lot of people, receive sacrifices, make demands, okay, there are serious differences in character between, say, a divinity explicitly requiring human sacrifice, child sacrifice, like Molech, uh, a divinity who also happens to be a sex maniac, you know, and Zeus, th here we're thinking particularly from Greek mythology, he may apparently may have swung both ways, uh, you know, with Ganymede, the cupbearer, anyway. Um, if you ever read the the histories by uh, Flavius Josephus, he kind of does a commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, his idea about the creation story is that it shows that God is good as opposed to, say, some divinity like Cronus eating his own children, uh, like Zeus. Uh, the uh, you might have a divinity claiming gifts of substances needed by humans, like there was a missionary story about about uh, some missionaries who'd gone to Southeast Asia, and part of their thing was showing off that. The, the Christians were objectively healthier than the other people because they weren't the ones sacrificing all of their pigs and chickens to the spirits. Uh, they were they had the protein that they needed um, or the, like is the the word for divinity that you're using a created divinity with direct competition from other similar created divinities. So then when we get over to the Taiping, okay, uh, Hong Xiuquan thinks he is the younger brother of Jesus, like that Jesus isn't God, that Hong Xiuquan is you know, getting on to divinity somehow. He's like, he's somehow different from everybody else. Um, like that's that's where the missionary work did somehow didn't get through to this guy. So you know whether you're looking into the culture and saying, yeah, okay, exactly the same as this one, but here's some more information, or coming up with a totally new name. Converts have to be able to say, okay, I know who this god is that you're talking about. It has to be, even if it's totally new, it it has to, it's not just some foreign thing, it's something that 
we all come from, and it is for me too. It's not just totally foreign, making me stop being what I am. Uh, you don't have to have stuff coming. Uh, so what you don't want is you don't want stuff coming forward. If you're a missionary, you don't want stuff coming forward from the religion that you're replacing. Like, so if you look at the kind of Islam that many Muslims practice from around the world, and then what Muslim clerics from around the world are preaching, you will see that these things can be very different. Um, you know, what just people out there believe versus what the formal, you know, conventional religion is, these two things can be very different. So missionary work is about trying to push the conventional thing because that's what they believe covers everybody. Uh, you Also, a lot of the work is about avoiding you know, a heresy because you don't want some group to start up that takes the wrong idea and go off on its own direction because then not only do you have to deal with whatever the religion is that you're trying to replace, you now you have to deal with a cult that is very well set up uh, and you know, it borrows from you, but maybe it has more of a local advantage in language and culture. And then if you're trying to help build a worldwide religion, who's going to save you if your own country stops believing and you need missionaries in reverse? So if you set up something that is orthodox, then they could come back to your country and preach to people in your country. Um, that's that's the thing when you're setting up a universal religion, that it needs to be the same thing in every country. Um, later treaties after the Opium Wars, first and second, opened all of China to Protestant missionary work. In 1842, at the, at the end of the first Opium War, it, opium, it opened much of coastal China. Industrialization was increasingly driving change in Europe. The East India Company more and more quickly was being shut down. Like in 1834, they lost their monopoly of trade with China. In 1860, the Second Opium War, uh, further treaties opened the interior of China, so Protestant missionaries could go anywhere. And this is just before the beginning of the American Civil War, which is 1861 to 1865, uh, Napoleon III was in power in Europe at the time. Just to give some historical context. Uh, so now let's talk about one pioneer Protestant missionary worker, a guy named Robert Morrison, 1782 to 1834. His goal was to, to kick off translating the Bible into Chinese. He worked very, so in his life, he worked very hard to become educated uh, while he was living a life of hard manual labor. Uh, a lot of his education was religious in nature. He had a strong experience of religious conversion. He was engaged in evangelistic work, even back in England. And he went on to study in a, minister, in a seminary. Uh, he was a pro, uh, Presbyterian minister. He became a missionary with the London Missionary Society, and he was sent expressly for the purpose of pushing ahead 
translating the Bible into Chinese. So when he got over to China, uh, his work was set up like this. You know, he for, for a while he was trying to live the Chinese way, but he was finding that wearing Chinese clothes, wearing the 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 queue that the Manchus forced Chinese men to wear, he was just drawing way too much attention. He tried eating Chinese food more consistently, but just the the health issues just didn't help him. So he went back to dressing in European clothes, eating European food. He'd have to divide his time between Macau and Canton, because foreign women were not allowed in Canton. It was just business setups only. Portuguese Catholic missionaries opposed, opposed Protestant missionary work. Um, so, like his, so Robert Morrison's printing presses, when he got all that figured out in Macau, were actually shut down at various times. After he'd learned Chinese, he had to work with the East India Company in Canton, because that's how he was able to manage staying on there so long. Uh, he spent 25 years in China, and he translated the. He did a lot of the work translating the Bible into Chinese. Now, when you say that somebody translates the Bible, it might not be them doing a lot of the heavy lifting, because if you're the one who doesn't speak the language natively, you're not going to express it very well. So you're going to have assistants who are helping you figure out the right expressions to use, uh, things like that. According to Wikipedia, the Roman Catholics had translated the Bible but not published it. Morrison, uh, with his Protestant emphasis, set everything up for publishing and sharing, getting it out. Uh, copies of the Bible by foreign translators and printers are going to be coming to the Taiping, who will in turn do their own revisions of the text to support what they feel is right, and they're in turn going to have their own printing and publishing activities. Uh, Robert Morrison is going to be laying the foundations for the importance of printing as a key thing for Protestant missionary work in China. Uh, passing out tracts, pamphlets, uh, copies of the Bible. And this is something that will not be leaving us in this podcast. It's uh, A lot of the later revolutionaries had Christian missionary education. They were educated by Christian missionaries, at least in some part of their lives. Uh, Morrison baptized ten Chinese converts, one of them Liang Fa, uh, wrote the tract around which the uh, visions that the founder of the Taiping movement was having, that around this tract his visions coalesced, and the Christian framework gave him what then he was going to communicate with the rest of the world. Uh, some of the very highest members of the Taiping movement are going to be they're going to have instruction from Protestant missionaries but they're going to take it and go in a very different direction with it. We'll come meet a guy named Hong Rangan, a relative of Hong Xiuquan. Robert Morrison collected 900 Chinese books, uh, building one of the largest collections of Chinese literature available in Europe at the time. And so really what we're looking at when we're looking at the life of Robert Morrison 
is his work paved the way for many generations of Protestant missionaries to to come later. They'll set up schools, hospitals, uh, orphanages, um, the foundations of Protestant printing and publishing in Chinese. You can see that have take a start with Morrison. Uh, the Chinese language learning materials, like a like a grammar dictionary started by Morrison, and this made it easier for other missionaries to come over with training in the language so that they don't have to figure it out. They Somebody's already gone ahead and done it for them, so this means that many, many more people can go to the mission field much, much faster. And he gathered the initial set of believers who would support the expansion of Christianity into China, and so the founders and leaders of the Taiping Rebellion are going to pass through this setting at least a little bit. And as the Taiping Rebellion gets going, they're going to try to use many of these connections to see if they can connect with Europe somehow, get more weapons, get recognition of them instead of the Qing government. And so uh, now we've looked at what goes into a lot of the work of a missionary, either cultural work or translation work. When we pick up with the missionaries again, we will be introducing Hong Xiuquan, the the founder of the Taiping movement, and uh, we'll be talking about Liang Afa, who wrote the tract that inspired him. So the main things to take a... Uh, so for, for next week, we're going to be getting into the more exciting story of the Chinese efforts to suppress opium trade and how the British handled it and then what ultimately made them decide to send military force. We're not going to talk about the opium war in great detail, but we're going to talk about it as uh, something that is getting in the way, something that this is the turning point, this is the thing that gets the Chinese to think, okay, maybe we need to be looking for something else because the Qing dynasty didn't keep the keep the opium war from happening, so maybe there's something else we ought to be looking into. Okay, so uh, that is it for today. I, again, am Nathan Bennett. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can uh, rate and review anywhere you can find this. You can also go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast. You can join the Substack at chineserevolutions.substack.com. And as always, please send me an email, chineserevolutions at gmail.com. Thanks for coming again a lot. Um, this is what happens when you record in the middle of the night. Thanks for coming along for another episode, and I will see you on the next one. Hopefully a good lot more exciting.